0: So we continue with the series on the newness of life and what does it mean to, um, to have the newness of life and I think in my, in my conversations with some of you, um, this, this terminology, the newness of life can be confusing or the way that I'm approaching the theme, it could be different than what you're used to. And I wanted to clarify here that when we're talking about the newness of life, and we're going to go to Romans towards the end of the sermon, uh, because that was the starting point for us to walking in the newness of life. I, what I mean by that is that there is an opportunity for us to embrace Christ and have that initial encounter of embracing Jesus, but also there is an ongoing element there that once we have embraced Christ, like Romans, Paul says in Romans, 6, we cannot continue doing our own thing because we have met Christ. And our lives then are aligned and they are kind of really subjected and they, 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 they come Under the authority of Christ. So when we're talking about the newness of life, it's not only the expectations that we embrace and we encounter God just for one off experience, but there is an expectation that actually there is an ongoing experience of the newness of life. It's that expectation that Paul says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So this is this is when I talk about the newness of life. I talk about this this new life that Christ offers us, and it meets us at a different point, and we are kind of doing this because God's spirit is at work at us. And it's not like a new year resolution that I'm gonna do, I'm gonna bring change about. It's allowing God to bring that change. So when we started, we started off three weeks ago, and we said that the newness of life begins when you respond to the reaching out, stretching out, loving arms of the Heavenly Father. And I backed that up with the story of the prodigal son. And uh, last week, uh, we used a little bit, um, very little bit of the Old Testament with three characters of how they responded to the opportunity to embrace this newness of life. Whereas today, we're going to be looking at three, again, very little random characters of the New Testament and see what what they did with that. Um, I don't know if you've got on your tables, but we've produced those uh, strips of paper as, as bookmarks. They're in the back. And the, 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 the kind of the expectation that I have from us all, including myself here, is that as we've been reminded of who God is in this process of us giving the newness of life, that we, we recall that, who God is, reclaim that, preach it to our souls and to, to ourselves, and then respond it, it, as a result of that. So so this is what I'm expecting from you, this is what I'm expecting uh, from myself. So the first slide there is is the the, the newness of life is is offered to us, and there is an invitation for us today to follow him. Uh, First Corinthians, I'm really sorry um, for, there was a Uh, A little error in the last week's slide, so this week I've tried to be a little bit um, more careful. Can we have the next slide, please, Brian? It's not working. Don't worry. So the first verse that we're going to be looking at is taken from 1 Corinthians 9 of chapter 1. And it says, God is faithful, but by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son... Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there is this calling element and and today the newness of life begins with our response to the Lord's calling us to follow Him. Um, we're going to use some biblical um, characters to, 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 to kind of look at the way that they've responded, and I had some some earthly examples as well, but I think from what Ian has shared with uh, those four different instances, I think those are enough to make the point that what it means to to the cost to follow Jesus and stuff. So, the the Lord calls us to follow him. And uh, the first character that we're going to be looking at is um, Matthew. If you open your Bibles... In Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13, we will read of a story of somebody who was in good terms um, with the Roman Empire because he had embraced the Roman and rejected his own culture and his own tradition, and he was a very well-off man at this instance. And Jesus happens to come to his city and to visit him. He is sitting in the most public place in the city because that's where he can summon up people to say, hey, you, you have not paid taxes. Hey, you, you have not paid taxes. Come here. And Jesus happens to walk by and sees this guy. We read in chapter 9 of Matthew in verse 9, as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. So, Jesus is calling Matthew to follow him in his occupation. What do I mean by that? Occupation it's, 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 I'm trying to do a play on words here because in one sense Matthew is the symbol of Roman occupation of the Jewish people. He is the symbol of an outcast of a Jewish society because he has set allegiance with the Romans. Romans. He is a symbol of a power that is oppressing the people because they happen to be in this time of history powerful and they're taking advantage of that. And then you've got Matthew who finds <coughs> excuse me, himself in this occupation. What is it better? Is it better to set allegiance with the Romans and be well off? Or is it better to be occupied and not to be well off and still remain And yet, Jesus sees him not only as a symbol, but Jesus sees him as a human being whom he loves and reaches out to him. And it's interesting how shortly Matthew deals with his own story when he writes it in his own gospel because Jesus is saying to him, Matthew, follow me. And it's one sentence. Matthew follows and then he invites Jesus to his house and invites his friends to hear what Jesus has to say. So... When, we, when we're talking about this newness of life, not only Jesus wants to address the occupation, but he wants to give Matthew a new life. He wants to, to restore his his kind of identity that is broken because he doesn't know what to stand for. Is it the Romans? Is it the Jewish? He, he is a castaway. He's cast off. He's, you know, people... People don't want, they just, he's, he's the mafia man in the town. And Jesus wants to reach out and says, No, I want to give you the opportunity for the newness of life. Matthew, follow me. And I just wonder, with carrying on with the thought of the occupation, What are the things that the society, the culture, even church culture, is trying to put us in, that Jesus thinks otherwise, that Jesus wants to bring the newness of life? What are the verdicts? What are the sermons? What are the things that actually we are immersing ourselves in the culture that actually become occupying? They occupy us when actually the call of Jesus is to follow. Perhaps you're sitting here today and perhaps you're you're finding yourself being torn a little bit like Matthew, the Jews, the Romans, what is it? And perhaps you're thinking, oh, perhaps I'm occupied with this particular area and therefore this is hindering me to embrace the newness of life. And Jesus says, follow me. is your response immediate is your response with questions like moses is your response with excuses like jonah is what is your response one of the things that is important to see here is that jesus wants to give freedom to Matthew. Jesus wants him to be set free of his occupation. Of his enslaving, of, of the burden that he carries. Who to please. And Jesus is giving him the newness of life. And Matthew immediately embraces it. And tells his friends. His fellow tax collectors. And gives them an opportunity as well to embrace the newness of life. The second person that I want to remind us today is another particular story which is very famous to us. It's in Mark chapter 10. And it's the story of a rich young ruler. When he comes to Jesus... And he's got a question. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 27. We've got these people that are surrounding Jesus all over the place. And he is one of them. And he's got a question. And he approaches Jesus and he says, Good teacher, he asks, What must I do to inherit the eternal life? And we're not going to stop at verse 18 today. I'd like to deal with that another time. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false, false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus said... By looking at him and loving him. I love this part of this story. Verse 21 is is the most thriving verse of the whole story. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I want you to picture the way Jesus is dealing with this young man. One thing you lack, he said. Go and sell everything that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad, because he had great wealth. Jesus is giving the rich young ruler an opportunity to embrace the newness of life. Not in a box-ticking kind of mentality that I have done this, this, and this, but in a way that actually only Jesus can do by giving life. And it touches the conversation with the rich young ruler at something which is very close to his heart. Money. Idols. Status. Because that was what it was in that society. I wonder if it's the same nowadays. And I wonder that... That, that perhaps in order for us to embrace the newness of life that Jesus is offering us, we need to make sure that we're checking and we're alert that we haven't got any idols. Because that's where Jesus wants to bring the newness of life. What is our idols that perhaps they're hidden? What are some of the idols that actually... We hold them dear, but they're not idols. We we just we, we we call them as passions. What are the things that we go to when it becomes difficult? What are the things that we're not prepared to give up because our own convictions? But Jesus wants tr- this young ruler. To be set free. To embrace the newness of life. To leave behind. He says, he looked at him and he loved him. And he said, you're lacking one thing. What is your idol? Or what is your, your, your tendency to... to, to, to what, what's your, your tendency, your approach to... And, I, and I'm not saying uh, don't... Don't get me wrong here because this is not a criticism. This is not a telling off. But we all have got tendencies to create our own idols. What is it that is stopping you to embrace the newness of life in a way that is revolutionary, like it would have been for this young ruler? To sell up everything. Now, I don't think we are called to sell up everything today. But we are all called... ...to embrace the newness of life. And that may mean different things for different people. It may mean like that couple in Kenya... ...to give up the comfort of their life... ...because they feel called that God has called them to our West Africa. I've met a lot of people like that in my life. It may mean that you really are, are, are living out your faith... ...and you're telling people and you're bringing people to faith where you are. It may mean that God gives you that sense of call that you become a light and salt for your grandchildren if you're a grandparent. What is it that is stopping the rich young ruler to embrace the newness of life? I wonder if we've got idols that we don't want to talk about. I wonder that if, if we talk about that we upset one another. One of the greatest um, challenges for me here, it, being in this country, is, is I think what, what, what Sue shared a little bit about the way they do binge drinking. So is alcohol an idol? I just want to throw that. Is success an idol? Is power an idol? Is our mortgage an idol? Says he who doesn't have a mortgage. Perhaps you'll come up with other stuff that you think, perhaps these are the things that are hindering me to experience the newness of life, and it can be only one thing, because Jesus—that's what Jesus said to the rich young ruler: "You're lacking one thing." And when we're talking about Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me, fresh on me. That's what we're saying: melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. I am at your disposition. I want to follow you at whatever cost. The third example of embracing the newness of life is uh, one of my favorite characters in the book of Acts. If you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, you'll come across a story of a lady who was not Jew by tradition. She just wanted to be a follower of God, of the Old Testament. She was originally from Philippi, living, uh, sorry, she, she was from Thyatira, living um, and working in Philippi. She was a businesswoman and she was just following a tradition. In those days, unless you had 10 men, you could not have a Jewish synagogue. And therefore, you could not meet within the city. Where do you go? You go outside the city. Where do you go? You go to the river. And this is where Paul meets with Lydia. Let's, talk, let's, let's go to the story and, and remind ourselves of this. This is in response, actually, to the Holy Spirit prompting Paul to go to Macedonia. There was one man that had come to his dream saying, come over to Macedonia. And this is the first encounter. So here we've got, from Troas we... Uh, verse 11, we put out to sea and sailed straight through for Samothrace and next day to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony leading to the city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the, woman, to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in a purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to the respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And then she persuaded us. So this is an opportunity where you've got somebody who is a follower of God, a worshiper of God. She doesn't know anything otherwise because Jesus has never been presented to her. The story of salvation of of the Messiah all she knows is how to do good business with purple cloth, and yet she 's fervent in her faithfulness she 's fervent in her gathering with the people she, because that's that 's what parts of 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 their being part of their walk with God and stuff and here we 've got Lydia who. Encounters God's message. Encounters that actually you are faithful in your tradition, but there is much, more, much more than ticking boxes. Embrace the newness of life. And again, it's fascinating to see how the response is so immediate. That 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 is it's this this great opportunity to see that. Actually, Jesus has come to save me. Jesus has come to set me free. Jesus has come to to look for me, to, to, to search me, to save me, to rescue me, to bless me, and I will embrace him. But Lydia was faithful. And yet, Paul says, you need much more than just that fervent faithfulness. You need the newness of life that Jesus can offer. One of the things that is, is really important here is, um, and I think this is where, where our language doesn't help us, but the, the verb that is used there for Lydia, it's a very helpful verb to remember because you're going to remember it very easily, is when she listened carefully and continuously the word for that in Greece in Greek is "Prosecco." Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's this and that's what I say when I mean with the newness of life, that it is not a one-off, just one-off experience, and we carry on as usual. But it's this ongoing, embracing Of the newness of life. And that's what Lydia had. That in her faithfulness of God. She was looking for the next opportunity. That God would speak to her. And she will embrace that. That God will show her something. And she'll go for it. That God will reveal to her something. And she would say, yes Lord. And I'm afraid that sometimes we have made our discipleship. Uh, A 12-step program. I'm in conversations with a friend of mine who who, who's written a book I I was telling somebody this week on 12 steps of discipleship. And and I think my my biggest fear about that is that what we're introducing is we're introducing a booklet that you say, if you did this 12 steps, you sort it. It's finished. Now what's next? Whereas I think what we can learn from Lydia's attitude is that attitude that is the ongoing, waiting, considering what God is saying to this. And that's where the newness of life, because that's how God reveals himself to us. When we give time and give attention to his scriptures, to his spirit, to lead us and to say, God, what is next? So today... You and I have got an opportunity to embrace the newness of life. And God has challenged me today and has challenged you in some areas that perhaps are not comfortable. And yet the invitation from God is to come to him. The invitation from God is actually those three points that we started the series from, to recall who God is in this picture. Who is he that is inviting you to follow him? And once we have recalled that, can we preach that to our souls and saying, but this is my Lord, this is my Savior, who actually today is challenging me It's challenging me to embrace the new life because perhaps I've sussed it differently or perhaps I have made it into a process that it's box-ticking. And yet, we are all invited to embrace the new life. We're all invited to expect God to change us and we need to remember that this is God who is doing that, not us. It's His Spirit who is molding, who is melting, who is filling, who is using us. It's not us. I want to give some time now for some space. And you've got the little bookmark there, um, And then we'll leave some space time and perhaps God has has really challenged you in a particular area. I want you to be praying about that.